Dr. Dale on Quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the premiere episode of Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau, and I'm proud to be joined by the namesake of this first program that will be featured monthly uh, going forward, uh, Dr. Dale Rollins. Hello, Dr. Dale. Good morning, Gary. Great to be with you. You've done hundreds of media interviews in different types of formats. First time for a podcast, I understand. I've never even listened to a podcast before, so yeah, this is the first time for me. Uh, I learned early on in my career, 30-something years ago, about the power of media. And so I've always tried to avail myself, but uh, podcast is my first one. People know you in many capacities. Uh, you're one of the nation's, if not world's, foremost authorities on quail and quail research. You're really identified with the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. Tell us about that. Well, the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation started as a dream back in 2005. And one of the other things that in my career that I kind of consider my opus magnum is the Bob White Brigade. And you've been involved with that, you know about that. Well, we were trying to raise money for the Bob White Brigade, and we had a foundation uh, targeted in from uh, Pennsylvania, the Richard King Mellon Foundation. And I had a couple of guys that knew some contacts, so basically it all generated to the idea that we would bring these guys down for some quail hunting in Texas, and then we were gonna ask them for some money for the Bob White Brigade. When I first met Mr. Prosser Mellon, who was the, uh, the top melon, if you will, uh, I told him that what you guys really need is a ranch in West Texas and let me manage it for quail research. And I didn't say that just flippantly because they are big players in the conservation fund and they have a plantation down at Georgia. So when you hear of the Tall Timbers Research Station and the great work they're doing down there, Pineland Plantation is, is a key part of that and that's Mr. Mellon's foundation down there. So it rocked along. We showed them three great years of quail hunting and I think it was 2003, four, and five. Uh, on some surrounding ranches out there and the last night of the last hunt we were cleaning birds by a full moon and uh, the talk came to we can, we've got to get ahead of the curve the Bob White's situation demise from these points uh, east uh, we don't want to let that happen in West Texas not on our watch kind of thing and so it wasn't but about eight months later that um, the uh, Mellon Foundation called a guy named Paul Melton, who was one of our hosts and serves on our advisory committee for the, what's now the Research Foundation, and said, we want to buy a ranch in West Texas and let y'all manage the research. So uh, the egg was laid, so to speak. Uh, we found a property that indeed was, uh, when Paul says it's a jewel, it's a jewel. And so we were able to uh, uh, get them to close on that property in 2006, and then we formed our own 501c3 called the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation and the deed was transferred to that in December of 2007. Put a pin on a map for us that may not be familiar with the property itself, where it's located, and maybe why that's important as okay. to where it's located. Well, it's uh, just west of downtown Roby, but uh, Fisher <laughs> County and uh, rural West Texas. It's about 20 miles north of Sweetwater or about an hour northwest of Abilene. It's in the southern third of the Rolling Plains ecoregion which is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the state and the country's premier ecoregion for growing bob white and blue quail. 
and it's representative of a lot of that kind of country. So it had a lot of the desirable characteristics that we like to see in a property that we're going to be managing for research as well as using as a laboratory and as a teaching tool to teach other landowners how to do this. And a sign when you drive into Fisher County that says Quail Capital, right? Uh, along Interstate 20, just west of Sweetwater, it says Fisher County, Quail Capital of Texas. Yes, indeed. The ranch itself, uh, the mission, uh, what have you learned uh, in your work so far at the ranch in terms of what can be accomplished on that property? Well, our mission is to preserve Texas wild quail hunting, and I focus on wild quail hunting as opposed to penrear quail hunting. Preserve Texas wild quail hunting for this and future generations. So we, our mission is to make the best, make the, this property the best it can be for quail, and then again, let it serve as a sentinel or a, a lamppost for others that are interested in saying, well, those guys seem to have something going over there. We want to come be a part of their efforts, their field days, their other outreach activities, so they can learn more about our 4,700-acre ranch. Uh, we are the only quail entity, as far as I know, that has its own property. And everything on the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch points to quail. I often tell visitors and so forth that here's the apex and the apex is quail in our case. So we're, we want to know if we're manipulating stocking rates for livestock, breast control, prescribed burning, whatever the case might be. All those are important to us, but quail are at the apex of every decision we make. At the foundation, the ranch is really mission control, but there's other components and other elements that bring into the total mission goal, I guess. That's right. And for those of us that were raised during the 60s and 70s, the NASA space missions and all this, you know, Houston is, is, is space center. Uh, in our case, it's the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch there at Roby. But we have what I call satellite operations as well. And typically, these are research studies that we're doing off-site. Uh, for the most part, these have dealt with two situations over the last seven or eight years. One is where we've been trying to translocate wild trap quail to points further east. And we can talk about that in another, uh, another session. And then the other one, the, probably the biggest effort we've done is a disease effort that we started back in 2011 that we call Operation Idiopathic Decline. And uh, we were working in 35 different counties across West Texas and Western Oklahoma uh, to uh, collect birds for that. And we'll talk more about both of those. I've been on the property, uh, events that you've hosted where others could come and spend a half day, a few hours. You know those pastures so well and you know the inner workings of that ranch property. It's become something very personal to you. Absolutely. Uh, I think of it as my ranch. Uh, obviously it's not, but I take a lot of pride in it. I take so much pride in it that I uh, named the pastures after bird dogs. Uh, mostly my bird dogs and at this point my, mostly my deceased bird dogs. So. I write often about the setter named Susie that changed my life in 1991. And when I first pulled onto that property and I saw that first pasture, I said, I dubbed it the Susie pasture because I said it looked like quail heaven to me. And in those years that were disappointing or years in which you felt should be better, uh, you can hear and you can read your words of, of disappointment. It's something that you also take personally when things don't add up as like you think they should. Absolutely. Uh, I've made the statement several times, especially back in like 2008, 2009, uh, populations were uh, dwindling and uh, sometimes it, you're a little bit like a cotton farmer. You want to be optimistic, you know there's several things that can be stacked against you, but uh, optimism runs eternal in mm -hmm. a cotton farmer and quail are much like growing cotton. Sure. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I take it personally, and, and maybe to my detriment, I don't know. Uh, this this next year or so will be especially telling because I may not have any hair on my head when we get through this. But uh, I made the statement in about 2008. I said, "This is not going what we've what we've seen from I-35 back to the East Coast, the demise of the Bob White." I said, "We're not going to let that happen in West Texas, not on my watch." And so I've made it personal for me, and I mean, quail have been my life professionally and personally, so it's it's personal to me. You retired, quotes, I'm putting the word retired, yeah. but really didn't retire in, ter in terms of the amount of work and hours that you put in. Well, I, for the last 11 years, I've worked, uh, my career was with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, and I worked for them for 32 years, and then uh, I had announced my retirement about the time that we got some special funding from the state legislature called the Reversing the Decline of Quail Initiative. So the boss man at the time called me and said, I got this special money and now they tell me my quail guy's retiring. Would you come back part-time? And I said, well, I'll come back part-time. And so I still work 49% for A&M, doing educational programs around the state. And then I work 100% for the Research Foundation. So I went from 200% to 149%. So when people ask me how's retirement, I said, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the funding element for the ranch and for the foundation, uh, a lot of people come together to make that successful. Yeah, most of our, most of our uh, operating budget is provided by uh, private dollars. And uh, for example, Quail Coalition, and especially the Park City's chapter of Quail Coalition has been the, the wind under our research wings. The operating dollars for a nonprofit like this are always the hardest dollars to raise. And our operating expenses are around $400,000 a year and we've had a very symbiotic relationship with Park City's Quail because they've basically been uh, funded our annual operating costs during that time. So then that allows you to, if you have a project, like right now we've got a, a translocation project going in Erath County. So I've still got to go out and find the money for that, but I'm not getting it from the state agencies by and large. It's coming from interested landowners, sportsmen, conservation groups, that kind of thing. We get some money from uh, A&M AgriLife because of that uh, reversing the quail decline bill. So I've been able to pick up a uh, little bit of money there to help fund some of these translocation projects. But yeah, largely it's the sportsman's dollar. And why is that, Dale? Why would a group out of Dallas, Texas have such a interest in the success of a ranch in Fisher County? Well, they have an interest in the future of quail hunting. And the passion is there. And their passion is probably as deep or deeper than mine because unlike me, they're cooped up here in, in downtown Dallas. And so they really look forward to that first Saturday in November and the, the relationship between them and their dogs and the opportunity to recreate in rural Texas. Uh, very, very special to them. And uh, they've, they've done some incredible things as far as rallying the troops over here and being able to raise some very substantial dollars. They, they call uh, this Park Cities chapter, they, uh, they hail their event as conservation's greatest night. And uh, last year they raised $1.7 million. And that's pretty, that, that's not pretty impressive, that's very impressive. And we've been able to uh, compete for some of those dollars. And like I said, it's, it's been a very symbiotic relationship for us. And the goal, I suspect, Dr. Dale, is that the research and the findings that you can then determine at your research property could in turn help properties in Coleman County and elsewhere where these individuals and others across the state have their leases and have their hunting interests, you're an opportunity to improve where they hunt. Absolutely. And like, that's why I go back to the, the fact that our research ranch 
is very representative of a lot of West Texas. We have about uh, 400 acres of CRP, Conservation Reserve Program, which is a integral part of most of the, the ranch land out in that part of the state. So when we talk about CRP management for quail, mm -hmm. we can show you. Will Rogers once said that, you know, you really can't win an argument with somebody, you gotta show them what you mean kind of thing. And so that's the whole value and extension work that we do. Uh, that's our bread and butter is the ability to collect data on this, show them, and then bring you and, and other colleagues in and landowners and let them see it because we, we're all skeptics. And so we want to be able to see what you implemented and what were the results. And then communicate some of that information which you are so well adept at. Well, again, I've uh, appreciated the power of the media throughout my career. and. Uh, We've got a very active Facebook page. I do a monthly eQuail newsletter. I started writing a newsletter back in 1987 as part of my extension career. And after about two uh, issues of it, one of the county agents said, this is never going to last. You can't provide this much BS to keep this thing going. Well, <laughs> that's 34 years ago, and I'm now I'm cranking them out monthly. I haven't run out of BS just yet. but. Uh, trying to keep the landowners, the, the hunters and so forth engaged in what we're doing, motivated because again we live on their passion and their ability to raise dollars to fund our research. You have some great partnerships uh, with universities and with others that are uh, providing you some resources, individuals. You've got a, a student population on the ranch as well that helps you accomplish some of the day-to-day -day work. Point number one of Susie's 12-point plan for success, Gary, is, is always hunt with good dogs always and so uh, literally that means surround yourself with good people or good bird dogs mm -hmm. and then basically all I have to do is just sit back and say ain't that good aren't they doing well and so that transcends several age groups as you said starting out with high schoolers and again the Bob White Brigade which I started 27 years ago uh, it's very rewarding to see some of those young people and how they've matured. Some of them are involved in the wildlife profession, that's not our goal, but uh, seeing some of them, our Fisher County Game Warden is a Bob White Brigade graduate from 1995. Very good. And so being able to watch some of those young uh, men and women prosper and flourish and flower, uh, that's, that's one component of our arsenal. And then uh, graduate students, technicians, interns, uh, I have graduate um, faculty appointments at uh, Texas A&M Kingsville, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Sol Ross, and Tarleton. So five different universities. So when someone comes to me and says, you know, I'd like to be a grad student, and I said, well, okay, you know, here you got several options. You can matriculate uh, to these various options. And uh, it's been, again, very great to watch those young people. Graduate school is tough and watch them persevere, watch them excel, and then again, all I gotta do is stand back and say, didn't they do a great job? Kind of and like. I love to see the social media posts of some of the young people that have come to you from out of state. It's like they've landed on the moon. It's country they've never been around or ever seen. That's right, and you know, these kids are basically indoctrinated into Facebook and those various social media platforms, and I make every one of them have a weekly post. And when I first saw, okay, your assignment is you've got to have a weekly Facebook post. You send me a photo and five or six lines of text, I post it. And they said, oh, I can do two or three a week. I said, I'll be happy with one because after they've done it for several weeks, it's like pulling teeth to get those uh, youngsters to do that. But the, the whole Facebook uh, crowd, we've got about almost 8,000 people engaged with us in social media That's now. That's great. 
And so uh, it, it's up to date, real time, fresh. I tell the, the kids, they'll, they'll post something on a curb bill thrasher or this or that, this or that plant. I say, now every, at least every third post has got to be about quail. I appreciate all those other components, but quail pay the bill. So I sometimes have to rein them back in and give them to focus on quail. Several major efforts underway, uh, things that we're familiar because they've been highly visible, publicized, maybe some less so. Um, what are some of the things that are happening right now sponsored by the foundation at the ranch? Well, we're doing, I guess, what, uh, what I would call our uh, quail equation work. And when I say that, Gary, I'm talking about we, we're keeping up with the, the quail. We're, we're monitoring. We, we count quail about a half dozen different ways. We're trying to figure out what's the best yardstick for measuring change and, and assessing what a quail population is. Uh, we're doing a lot of radio telemetry work. And that radio telemetry work sheds several dividends. So one is our survival. In other words, uh, when, is, when do our quail go through the toughest time of the year? Typically that's during uh, January to March kind of time frame. And then once uh, the kids are out there and they find, a, a, and basically you're listening for a beep, beep, and if it beeps at about 40 pulses per minute, that's live. The dead signal goes beep, 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 and so they know they've got a, a dead bird. And so then we move in and do what we call quail CSI. We're wanting to try to look at the physical evidence of that event and say, hmm, this looks like it was done by a raptor, a bird of prey or by a bobcat or whatever the case might be. So we're learning again, uh, where do quail fit in the overall food chain? And as we pull on this chain, for example, one thing we do is monitor the small mammal population, the rodents. We do that twice a year and it's an intensive effort across eight different habitat types that are. You might say, well, I thought it was a quail research range. Well, it is. What happens to the rodents has a big bearing on what happens to the quail. Really? And so when we see what happened in, in 2015, we had an eruption of cotton rats. A cotton rat is just a bob white with fur. And so we, we monitor their dynamics. We know if we've got a lot of rats out there, that's good for the quail because many of the enemies of quail find it easier to catch a rat than a quail. So oh, we call good. that a buffer species. And so as our rats go, so have gone our quail. Uh, the rats died off in 2017 and we were hoping that we could insulate the population for the first year we did okay, this year we did terribly. So uh, that whole predator-prey balance and equation out there is really important. We've done a lot of work on predation management, which is uh, one of the sometimes taboo subjects in wildlife management. Uh, we've been able to look at the diets of coyotes out there, and we do that by digging through their scat, their poop. <laughs> and so I've had two master students at Texas Tech that took that, and this is part of the beauty of the ranch. The first one did it during the La Nina phase, 2010 and 11, okay. 12 during the drought, and then in 2016 and 17 during the El Nino phase. And La Nina and El Nino, we can talk about this at some other point in time, but those major climate patterns are really important and they really drive the system out there. So trying to look at how important were coyotes during the drought, how important were coyotes during the great times, and making an educated decision about should I be working on coyotes or not? 
we don't we don't mess with our coyotes. Our coyotes, we believe, are our left-handed allies. I call it to our quail population. Oh, I bet your livestock producers kind of bat you an eye when you say that. Yeah, well, I tell them first of all, not not only the yeah, you know, I was raised in San Angelo in many many years, and you've been involved in some of those too. The predator politics. I tell my students there are no politics like predator politics, and so yeah, this is not the sheep and goat you know, ranch. It's the Bob White Quail Ranch. I tell my deer guys, this is not the Rolling Plains Deer Research Ranch. If I was interested in deer, I'd be working on a coyote or something. But our studies suggest that, that quail make up less than a tenth of a percent of a coyote's annual diet. Interesting. And so they're working on some of the other mesocarnivores, the skunks, the raccoons, and some of those. And we think they do more of a service than a disservice from a quail standpoint. Other things, uh, an operation transfusion. Tell us about that. Operation Transfusion is something we started back in about 2013. Again, a lot of country east of east, east of us, and typically during the uh, the Cross Timbers eco region here, this country just west southwest of Fort Worth, for example. Historically, when I say historically, 30 years ago, you can't believe the number of stories you get about. Well, I didn't even have a bird dog. All we did was hunt the fence rows, and you know you hear that time and time again in my profession. And yet there are no birds, or very, very few. There might be just a residual uh, number of birds, but there's never a huntable population. And so we wanted to move back in with trapping wild trap birds. So we find a generous donor that will say, can we have 50 a year quail? We're doing this under permits uh, from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. And so we moved uh, 200 wild trap quail into Shackford, Stevens County to see if we can boost the population. We've done some work with translocating blue quail back to our research ranch because we had them in 2007, we lost them in 2010, we brought some back in in 2014, and now they're probably a fourth of our total numbers right now. The blue quail. So the blue quail have done quite well. We've had some hits, we've had some misses, but we're, we're trying to figure out just exactly where does that translocation work. And uh, it's, it's kind of like a crescent wrench. It ain't the perfect job for everything. And if you try to put too much force, you can bust a knuckle kind of thing. But where can it fit? And so we have a project going right now down in Erath County, uh, west of Stephenville. And we're moving towards gathering the evidence that Parks and Wildlife Department needs so we can issue some what we call triple T permits, trap, tag, and transport permits for uh, for quail. They but do this with other species, they right? Do it. It's been on the book since 95. Uh, they've done it a lot with deer, to some degree with turkeys, but uh, with, with quail, been hesitant to do it. So we're trying to amass the information that says, hey, this really is a good toolbox, a good tool for our toolbox, and we think it should be further implemented. But the onus is on us to document that we can have successes there. You mentioned radio telemetry. What a nice use of technology. You're putting little collars on the quail, right? Right. Collars that are about the size of your uh, thumbnail or about the size of a nickel. They weigh about, they weigh about six grams. And so you put those on there, and I, and I tell uh, when I'm talking to people about a, how does radio telemetry work, it's a country and western station, and it only plays two tunes, I'm alive or I'm dead. <laughs> and, but you listen for those, and so each technician or intern might have responsibility of 30 to 40 quail so okay. three times a week they're out there for listening who's on the air who's alive and then again if they have a dead signal they move in so we get information on the quail CSI and there's a lot after that quail right up from above the air and on the ground quail uh, have a really tough road to hoe death from above death in the tall grass uh, 
we can go around, a lot of times I'll have a group of 30 people in the room and I'll say, okay, starting with you right over here, you name them something that eats quail. And we'll go through the crowd twice sometimes. So we might have 40 or 50 elements, you know, that can consume and do consume quail. What our role as managers are is, number one, to appreciate that predation's a, a big part of a quail's life. And then two, what can we do biologically and legally that could have some impact on that? How long does a quail live in, in optimal conditions? It's not a long-lived bird, is it? If you put one in a cage and fed it, it'd probably live four to five years. In the wild, uh, rarely do they live past two. We've got a fairly geriatric quail population right now because we haven't raised any chicks really in the last two years. We've got uh, a couple of birds. We leg band every bird that we catch. So if that bird was caught as a juvenile bird, less than one year old, we put a leg band on it. Well, if we catch it three years later, we know it was three years old. We've had a couple of birds that were four and some that were even five years old. One blue quail that was five years old. And what's the key to success in survival? What are they doing differently than some of the other counterparts? Well, I think part of it is savvy and learning. And part of it's probably just chance. You know, that hawk picked him rather than her for whatever reason. The hens are going to have a lower survival rate than the roosters because raising a family is hazardous to your health. Every time that Bob White, he's telling all of his enemies, here I am. So the cost of reproduction is high uh, for a quail. And so they've got, a, like I said, a lot of threats. And they don't need any more threats from us as land managers. In other words, we got to understand as we do practice A, are we helping the quail or the enemies of quail? And too often, we're, having, we're helping the enemies of quail because we haven't thought the process through. I know we'll be talking about some of those management practices in some upcoming episodes. Uh, I wanted to ask real quickly, what's the future of the foundation, the future of the ranch? What's on the horizon? What are you excited about? Well, I'm excited right now because uh, we, we've got 10 years behind us, so we've got a good track record started. And if and as we're able to keep the funding stream coming in, we're now getting into the point where we can begin to make some improvements on the ranch. When I say improvements, uh, if you've been there, there's nothing fancy on the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. I say there's nothing opulent except the quail habitat. Well, we're hoping to get into a building phase so we can build a, a multi-purpose center and some other things that will help us, uh, help us do our job, but also make a donor feel good. If you're, if you're a member of Quail Coalition and whatever, and you come out there and say, I was part of that. And so that's where we're hoping to go over the next three years. Quail is such an important, I think culturally, from a, a heritage standpoint, but economically, it's a driver as well. Uh, communities like Roby, Fisher County, and those like them, when quail are abundant and quail are plentiful, those communities feel that impact, don't oh, they? Oh, absolutely. Every time that I, uh, pick up with a dog box drives into Roby, Texas or Paducah, Texas and the orange caps on, it's probably worth a total of about $8,600. That, that hunter spends about $8,600 a year and about 60% of that is spent in the destination county. So yeah, it's if you're wanting to fix uh, potholes or whatever as a city government, those types of tourism related, there's not many tourism activities in Roby, Texas with the exception of quail hunting. And so a lot of rural West Texas, rural South Texas, Again, uh, that is a vital part of the economy. And when quail are thriving, Dr. Dale, I suspect you see it on the faces and the smiles of the landowner community and those in natural resource management is kind of a source of pride. Oh, absolutely. We, too often, we don't have that much to smile about. In 2016, but we were all smiles. That's the best year I've ever seen. 2018, 
worst year I've ever seen. Two years we went from from riches to rags. Now we know that we can go back to riches again, and again we hope to be able to expedite that. Some of the work that we're doing is trying to say we want to take the bottoms out of those lows to where we can bounce back a year or two quicker, and that's one of the targets that we have research-wise. But uh, absolutely, um, when, when it's a good year for a quail in West Texas, again, the cotton farmers are happy because it's been good weather, and those are the two main engines that drive much of West Texas. Dr. Dale, it sounds like local ranchers and those uh, near you can help with information they have. Uh, something about a quail trap line. What's at, that? A quail trap line, Gary, is the network of individuals that I rely upon, not only for right there at Fisher County, but across West Texas and across western Oklahoma. I have, each year in August, I'll send out an email to about 75 members of this quail trap line. Most of them are not professionals, so I, I, I'm careful to point out this is not a professionally done survey, but many, if not most, of those landowners keep a closer watch on their quail than any other species of quail, at least the ones that I deal with. And so I want to know, what's your quail forecast for the year? Uh, on a scale from one to 10. And so uh, I rely upon them. I have an advisory committee. It's got about 20 different folks on it. So we meet once a year. They say, you know, have, have we considered doing work on this? The, the big disease project we did, that came about as a result of a friend of ours, Roy Wilson. Mm -hmm. And when I asked Roy back in about 2009, what's your quail forecast for this year? He said, I don't know. I've got to where I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't uh, make, an make, make an estimate. And so that's what got us off on this idiopathic decline, idiopathic me medical jargon for the doctor don't know. And so taking those grassroots information and then again formulating some research hypotheses, securing the funding, that's what it's all about. Well, thank you, Dr. Dale. I look forward to uh, in upcoming episodes. We'll really be doing some deep dives into some of the management practices, some of the research you and your team have learned and are now passing on to landowners and others in the natural resource community. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed the premiere episode of Dr. Dale with Quail. Uh, we'll be back soon and I hope you'll join us then for Dr. Dale Rollins. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. Until next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at GordianSons.com.